Well, hello and welcome to the Transfix Take On, where we bring in a variety of leaders to come on and give us their take on a specific subject. I'm your host, Jenny Ruiz, and today Thomas Wasson from Freight Waves is giving us his take on the load of a carrier. Now, Thomas comes with a view of the industry that often goes overlooked, having worked as a freight broker, fleet manager, and load planner at companies like Arrive Logistics, AI Fleet, and US Express. He then made his way over to Freight Waves, now covering all things enterprise trucking and carriers, and is the mind behind the podcast and newsletter, Loaded and Rolling. Thomas and I share an affinity for all things carriers, and I'm super excited to get into it with him today. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's exciting to be on, of course, and uh, you know, just getting to talk about my favorite subject. Uh, and I happen to be thankful enough to get paid to talk trucking, which is always a fun thing. Isn't it the best? Some of my suffering, it's good because you get to, you know, when you're, I came up as an ops guy before I've, I've done this media stuff and, and content creation and uh, it, the stories and some of the, the zaniness that goes on behind the scenes and, and the hard work. It's always so much fun just to pass that along because for a lot of folks, uh, you know, you, you only see the end product. You don't really get to see the, uh, the, the uh, supply chain in depth, like what goes into it. I used to joke with people that it was always a miracle when a, a toilet paper got delivered to Costco. Uh, just because of all the hurdles and everything you have to go through, uh, you know, from one point of the supply chain to another. Which is why you have such a unique point of view, because you have been able to take that back seat, really, or not the back seat, the front seat, the driver's seat, if you will, to getting it on the truck. And there's so much that goes behind that. Exactly. And it's it's really cool. It's almost like in a scene between the lines of the matrix of the supply chain or, you know, Tron, where you see the grid, like understanding the role of how not only trucking plays, brokerages play, as well as other actors in the supply chain. It really gives you an appreciation for just how not only interconnected we are, but uh, just how fascinating things are. I love to geek out and nerd out on like, you know, supply chain optimization. And, and for a lot of people, they think, well, this isn't very important until, you know, pandemics happen, ports get backed up. And now all of a sudden people are asking, oh, maybe I need to maybe I need to pay attention to this. Well, for a while, and I think it does kind of trickle into dinner conversations, but it's so funny because when no one was getting their holiday gifts in 2021, if I remember correctly, it was literally the topic of every wedding conversation, you know, cocktail dinners, all of it. So now here we are talking about it today, like it's just normal conversation. And for us, it is. But it's so cool when you start to see the consumer really be brought into our world. Exactly. My favorite ones were the memes where uh, students were saying the supply chain disruptions ate my homework. <laughs> <laughs> that by far was the greatest. I, you know, I want to talk to you about your beginnings because when I was doing research in the fall of last year, you penned a piece at Freight Waves titled How I Accidentally Fell in Love with Trucking and Left It All Behind. And in it, you outlined the first four years of being a dispatcher, fleet manager, load planner, and then freight analyst. But what made you give away sort of the secret sauce behind your experience in that modes newsletter? It, it was kind of this opportunity. Normally what I like to do, I, I write newsletters like small 200 word blurbs and I, I host the, the podcast, but very rarely do they trust me to try and be a real journalist and share <laughs> things. And uh, so uh, this, this opportunity came with Rachel Premack. We hired her at Freightways from Business Insider, which is now Insider, I, I guess they're uh, streamlining. Uh, but, you know, she said, uh, came to me and said, would you like to fill in? Uh, I know you do trucking. And and so I thought, yeah, this will be fun. So I typed all this stuff out and I got to give a shout out to folks because uh, making it look cool for uh, an actual article was one of the, the challenging parts. Like I have to learn about things like subheads and have to, you know, use a, a sentence structure, which is strange for me. But anyways, uh, 
it was a great opportunity to share because for a lot of people looking outside in, uh, you really don't get to see some of the the fun. Uh, I wouldn't say the drama, but the 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 humor and the you know the triumphs and the failures and the uh, you know that goes on behind a truck. What goes into a trucking carrier? Uh, it's something that's a highly stressful job. It's very uh, if you're in a large company like a large enterprise carrier, it can be siloed, and you can kind of get this flavor and this personality that a lot of people on the outside only think. Well, it hasn't delivered yet, and they don't understand what what goes into it. This is a very fun question. Has it indeed delivered yet? Because there's so many other parts within an organization that talk to each other. So, you know, looking at my experiences, I felt like also uh, I'm writing to people who are interested in getting into it and want to learn more. What are some things that I wish I had known about these roles and these jobs? And what makes them so cool and so special? And they're, they're very stressful jobs, but they're very cool jobs. It's like hiking. You know, when you're hiking and you're out of shape, you're like, man, this is a lot of work. I'm not having a fun time. But afterwards, when you're finished hiking, you're like, wow, that was such a fun time. That's how it is with trucking. When you're in it, uh, I would be right now, if this was trucking, I'd be contemplating my lunch while dealing with fires and problems, late deliveries, communicating issues. Uh, and you know, you look back on it longingly, but it's such a fascinating thing. So yeah, I wrote the article, uh, it garnered some blurbs and uh, uh, it, it was something that I feel like I may have to do it eventually again, like a part two after I, I learned enough media stuff and then uh, figure out how to, uh, to help people out with that. I would love to to read a part two and, and, and even hearing that on your podcast, I think could be a really incredible journey because you have such a real life perspective. And like you said, you, you hinted at it. There, there's definitely drama in trucking. Like, let's just keep it real. There's a lot of drama. There's fires. There's, you know, these, I mean, natural disasters that you have to then kind of work around. I mean, you know, not to mention what's going on in Cal or what was going on in California last week with all of the, uh, with the rain torrential downpours. I mean, it was insane. But, you know, I, I want to know, what do you think was kind of, and this might be an unfair question, what do you think was the single most important or fascinating thing that you learned about carriers or even just the trucking industry in, as a whole? Well, uh, biggest thing in general is just, uh, it, it's not always one person's fault. When something messes up, everyone wants to say, well, it was the driver's fault or it was the dispatcher's fault. But there, typically when we see this friction, the, the drama, the personalities in trucking, it's a byproduct of so many factors that had to have come together. It's like the butterfly effect. If that distribution center had just managed to uh, not have one of its loaders go out, it could have loaded that driver three hours earlier in the bay. It wouldn't have been late on his next load, which caused the plant shut down and caused $50,000 per hour being charged to the broker who happened to broker it out to a carrier. That level of like three degrees of Kevin Bacon in the supply chain or how these in this interplay, I think, is the most fascinating thing I've learned. It's like a detective when things mess up. Yeah. If you like puzzles, it's the same thing. So when you first start out, you, you know, uh, you can, a lot of people get frustrated. It feels overwhelming, but the more you learn and absorb it, it helps keep you grounded. It's funny because I had a director um, a load planning director, he actually started as a warehouse person. People don't, you know, when you ask a kid, uh, send a bunch of kindergartners around, what do they want to be? Uh, police officers, fire, firemen and women, uh, you know, astronauts, uh, you know, we always have the, you can imagine what they're going to do, but no one ever says truck driver. This is no one ever ends up in, in the supply chain by choice. I was a security guard. I graduated college. I was supposed to be a lieutenant in the army. I ran too slow. So I was trying to figure <laughs> out what do I do with myself now? Yeah. And uh, I ended up in trucking as a dispatcher with 300 drivers. 
out of college and uh, I was overdressed. I was wearing this brown suit. It looked like the guy from Channel 5 News with that baggy <laughs> brown suit. You know, I was really, yeah. really young and gangly looking. And so I interviewed you this role and that was my first time for six months when I started out in the industry. I sat across the table with other dispatchers. I'd literally have to say, what do I do if this happens? What do I do if this happens? Half of my job is an operations person. The only reason people say I'm good is I just screwed up enough to now know what happens when this happens. And that's the other thing. And the biggest other takeaway in the supply chain is if then do this. And people get frustrated because they don't know that. Well, it's okay. You'll learn it eventually through trial and error. Like we talked about uh, uh, California, torrential downpours. And trucking, that's just another Thursday. Driver caught on fire to a hub failure. Now you have a cargo claim. Like, you know, eventually for your average person, it just seems crazy. You know, driver calls you on I-80 in Wyoming and uh, they're sending you pictures of, uh, it's like cattle tipping, but with 18 wheelers. Yeah. And so there's so much still with the supply chain that's fascinating, the stories behind it. And that's part of what I like about my job is I get to learn the stories. I have to ask, what do you think you've learned about yourself as a person? Because I feel like you've you've gone through the ringer as been in, in all of these different <laughs> roles. <laughs> what did you learn about yourself? High stress, pr high pressure environments, uh, you, you learn what kind of person you are. And yeah. that was one good thing I learned from my experiences is that the stress, how you deal with that stress and what kind of person. Sometimes you got to take a breath. Sometimes you got to take a 10 minute walk and get attacked by birds. It turns out mockingbirds recognize your face and they put their things at uh, head level. So I had one harass me for a year straight one time. <laughs> I still got my stress walks. Uh, you know, learning how to deal with people in tough situations is another thing. Trying to be empathetic when you're frustrated. Drivers are, when they call you, they're normally mad about something. They're normally alone on the road and they're taking things out. Don't take things personally. That was another thing I learned about myself. Uh, you know, work on the problem and not about the the, the person's issues. You know, you're going to have good days and bad days in, in this job. But uh, even as a broker or a carrier, that you just got to roll with the punches. And you'll find out a lot how more resilient you think you are. Uh, you know, just getting through it. And I tell people when you first start out in this industry, it's going to suck. It's not fun. Yeah. This is very stressful. Yeah. You're going to get yelled at by everyone, but you stick around, you're going to learn a few things. And the more you learn, the better you're going to become. And it just, it opens up so many doors. You would be shocked how small this community is. And uh, I interviewed uh, uh, recently the CIO of Werner, and uh, he's actually from Ireland. He had a CDL and came to the US, and then um, he's now back at Werner doing their technology stuff, but he had 20 years of doing this whole, you know, learning that story and going full circle. You never know who you're going to meet. So I had a director from Warner, so I'd start talking to him about tomahawk steaks because in Nebraska, apparently, I'm, I'm from Chattanooga, they yeah. don't do the tomahawk steak with the big pieces. So, you know, you show up at events too, like freight waves events. Uh, yeah. You'll you'll learn and meet people and you'll recognize them from like US Express has a very large, I joke, alumni network, people who have worked in other roles now. So you'll see them and say, hey, Bob, what are you up to? Oh, yeah, I'm at this company now. And you're like, oh, nice. So uh, that, that's kind of my little rambling thing. But uh, summarizing it up, I'd assume, I would just say that like you, you learn what kind of person you are. And if you're not the kind of person you want to be, that's okay. Because you're going to keep learning and you get the opportunity to practice it each day. It tests you. I was just going to say, yeah, the industry definitely tests you no matter what. I mean, if, even if it's at the top of the day and then again at the end of the day, there's you're going to be tested at least four or five times in your day. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of, of, you know, this kind of difficult industry that we're in, 
obviously carriers have had over the last couple of years a really tough road, right? And especially I would think last year was the most difficult with regards to, you know, the the types of freight that was not on the spot market, but was instead on the contract market. And there was these ebbs and flows that they were having to deal with. So how do you think carriers fared over the last year with that battle between contract and uh, and spot market? And do you think they'll come out of it stronger this year? Well, I mean, I, I would say the first part of the question, it definitely felt like a tale of two cities. Uh, yeah. You know, the first part through March, we had sky high, even with our own freight waves data, rejection rates on contracted lanes, spot market was very strong. Uh, and drivers, unfortunately, are normally the last ones to find out. So uh, we'd done some articles in freight waves where we we pinned data saying that there's a Craig Fuller did an imminent freight recession. I don't get to make spicy headlines like that, but we, we let the boss man do it. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people in the supply chain and even trucking companies, they're like, no, things are great right now. I don't know what you're talking about. Your data's going down. I don't, I don't know what that means. Well, it takes a minute. It does take a minute. Yeah. By April, it's starting to cool. By May, by June, we start seeing import data at the point of origin go down. Not at the destination. People got very angry about that as well just because they said, well, the ports of LA are backed up right now, and all this sitting container data is really high. Like, watch what's getting booked. And so, when you're looking as a driver and you're paying attention, they don't you don't pay attention to this because you're too busy. Your average driver and owner operator is fighting for the week. There is an entire thing called win the week at a trucking company. I swear this was really it. Did you win this week? Trucking carriers are looking down and they run into trees in the middle of a forest. That's the issue they run into. MIT data even says that elephants and goldfish was one of their papers. Uh, I spoke with uh, Dr. David Carell, and the problem is carriers are more like a, a goldfish. You don't have the luxury of thinking. This caught a lot of them by surprise. People were increasing their truck counts trying to capitalize on these rates. Right. The narrative of it, literally like Game of Thrones winter is coming right now. It, it's a tough time because when spot market conditions go down, uh, the cost of doing business is hard. Now, we can say doom and gloom on who exits the market. This is typical of the trucking business cycle. We don't like it, but it happens. Yeah. Now, to the extent of when they leave the market, we're going to see more folks leave the market because a lot more folks entered the market. So, uh, you know, I came from a startup, uh, AI Fleet. I, I helped found, I was the first person hired that was full time. Uh, and we started with two trucks hmm. when we did. We got up to 50 by the time I left and they're up to 100 now. And the problem is when you're in a soft market, it was in the middle of the pandemic too, very soft. Uh, your goal becomes just put revenue on the truck and survive. Yeah book the loads, secure the loads, and may not be the rates you want, keep them rolling and just try to take care as much as possible. Because, you know, practically speaking, you just have to stick it out. And for a lot of carriers, the big issue they ran into was they either, and this is what all the media outlets are posting as well, you bought your trucks too expensive, mass capacity, leaving the market, et cetera, et cetera, higher cost. These are factors. But, you know, at the end of the day as well, um, these are real people with real businesses and real livelihoods. They're going to stick around as long as they can. You don't want to just give up on your business that you just tried to you know, not have to work an office job. So I feel sorry. I, I do. My heart goes out of the carries because I've worked with some good carriers. I've worked with some bad carriers. But whenever the market gets tight like this, the ones that come out of it, the ones that have been around, they're going to be okay. But at the same time, we're going to lose a lot of folks that came in with really high expectations at a very unique moment in time that we have not seen before. So the supply chain, the pandemic, even in 2020, the retail, the goods and certain, all of these things came into this moment that allowed this record. And now we're going back to a time of normalcy. And this is where it's going to get weird for people because 
You know, like I said, everyone has the attention span of a goldfish in trucking. What's it going to look like uh, going back to your ebbs and flows within, you know, the demand cycle of freight? Yeah, you know, and here we've been talking a lot about how the contract market will eventually bottom out, likely around, according to Justin Mays and, and Aya Bandiamati uh, at Transfix at the end of Q2, where the spot market may feel kind of like a summer comeback ahead of produce season. First of all, let me stop there for a second. Do you agree or disagree? Hot take. I completely agree. Depends on who you ask. I I sometimes get to read equities of ports and pretend like I'm important, but uh, <laughs> you know our data as well is suggesting that uh, we're going to see a gradual bottoming out. Uh, depends on who you ask. Q1 or first half of 2023 is what the consensus is. Depending upon now, when we did our freight waves rating stuff, if we asked smaller brokerages, they thought it was going to be closer to the first quarter at the end, and then the larger brokerages and larger carriers were like, "No, it's going to be more close to the half." Mm -hmm. This is interesting because the larger you are, it takes a minute. It's like cruise ships and speedboats. When I worked at U.S. Express, there was like over 55, 6,500 trucks. You're when you make a decision as a business, it takes ball, you know, football fields to turn. Right. Uh, when I worked at AI Fleet, we had like five to 10 trucks. We were a speedboat. We could make really fast decisions because we didn't have as much time to trickle down. Uh, same like even with Arrive Logistics versus a smaller one, watching them grow, making decisions. So uh, contracted rates, the contract market right now is definitely in a situation where everyone's going to prioritize it, brokers and carriers. Cool things I learned was because of the pandemic, brokerages are actually getting more access to contracted freight when it used to be just only a carrier's game. Brokerages weren't trusted as much, but now you see folks doing trailer pulls. We see more technology. A lot of large shippers are getting smart because what do you do right now is you try to get savings. So it's the, it's the tale as old as time, which is usually a uh, shipper wants to pay the least amount, carrier wants to pay the most, and the broker, you try to make money off of the difference and providing services for both. So um, contract predictions, this is where it's interesting. Uh, if we say it goes down 10% more, does that mean I go from 250 to like 240? Do I lose 24 cents? Like, what does it look like with inflation? What does it look like with higher fuel costs? This is where it gets really fun. I'm not smart enough nor well paid enough to tell you exactly what this contract rate will be. But I do know that trying to assume it would go back down to a 2019 level, I would assume that when we see a bottoming out, we're going to be a little bit higher because costs are higher. Diesel fuel still is heavily being impacted by uh, you know, consumption trends. It, it's getting better, but having geopolitical things impact the diesel situation means that uh, there there are some, here's my fun, fun take, by the way. Um, when you're bidding for contract, you always bid your line haul and your fuel surcharge. Your fuel, you know, if your fuel hot is high and your surcharge is high, you can get a little aggressive and go lower on your line haul. But what happens if we see diesel prices go lower and your RFP just got negotiated with a much lower line haul? Pricing analyst mistake 101. You assume fuel is going to stay the same. So there's the potential that we may see either renegotiating or we may see a, you know, either a more gradual movement or a potential stop, depending upon this characteristic behavior. Did you price your net? And I've seen it before in a large carrier. It's all fun and games because imagine you have to book for a business unit of 2,500 trucks. They'll chew through about 7,000 loads per week. Your job is to fill the bucket at this level. It's way too complicated otherwise. So 90% of your mix is this contracted. But when we talk about in freight waves, what happens when tender rejections go from five to 2.5%? That means out of 100 loads, it went from five being said, no, I can't take it, to like two to three. This causes disruptions because 
shippers don't always send you the 50 loads per week or the 7,000 that they said they will. They'll say, oh, I have problems. I had issues. Well, they gave it to somebody else too. That happens. They won't tell you about it, but it depends on your customer mix. Right. And so, you know, as a carrier, when we talked about spot market behavior, that's going to be fascinating as well. Will large carriers still go in the market? I was an analyst once. I don't care if it's a buck 25. It takes a driver $1.75 to stay in business. I got to fill a truck. It costs me more money on a per unit basis to not take it at 125. So, uh, you know, few little pricing things that, that's my thing that i'm watching right now is uh, are we hitting the bottom uh are we going to continue to see the downward movement and will it be because of factors like fuel or will it be because of maybe intermodal will you know what impacts trucking that's my final thought on that is pay attention to the peripherals mm-hmm. full truckload if you look at jb hunt and schneider large truckload carriers when they get money they don't make their truck count larger that was the most baffling thing I've learned now uh, as learning a lot. Now you have Warner, Heartland, U.S. Express. We call them pure plays. They only do trucking. They yep. do various forms of it. But J.B. Hunt uh, it wants to do intermodal because it's a lot harder to buy tens of thousands of 40-foot containers and then just park them somewhere and work with a railroad. That's a defensive play. Same with Schneider, Hub Group, uh, and a few other folks. And so what happens if the rails, finally, because there's lower volumes, fix themselves because they couldn't handle the higher volumes? Right. Uh, then will that mean that they will actually see more contracted freight go back on the rails? Because you mm-hmm. don't have to deal with your inventory situation as much. Destocking and consumer trends, another thing to watch, is not expected to get better until the summer. They're still trying to get rid of stuff from like six months ago. That's why Christmas Christmas was stolen six months ago in the summer. At a port of right. When it didn't go out, that's the issue. They put them in warehouses. I used to do with Walmart. We, uh, we would put them in charge Walmart for uh, surge pricing to park our trailers there and they would just sit for three months and we'd make money off of it. And then they're like, okay, time for Black Friday. And they put it up to the store and they unload it. Like your Christmas trees and stuff were chilling out probably in a trailer for like <laughs> That's fast. You know, yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's that's incredible. See, there's so much knowledge that you have. I just want to keep picking your brain, but <laughs> let's get into, for, for a moment, let's shift gears for a second and get into net new carrier revocations. We were talking about that a lot here. It's, it's you know at an all-time high, depending on who you ask. But do you think that we'll continue to see more of the um, owner operators and small carriers kind of jump ship to those enterprise fleets that you were talking about? Yes and no. Uh, Thomas's rule of thumb with trucking is uh, normally trucking operates in what we call forced dispatch. Your company driver, you run what they tell you to do. Now you can say no, by the way. People are going to say, oh, that's wrong, Thomas. No, I promise you. If you need to hold on to the driver and they say no enough times, who really runs the show? The inmates are running the prison, my friend. But, uh, <laughs> you know, very true. Owner operators normally, when they get brought into a truckload network or lease purchase or owner operators, we lease you the vehicle, you get to pick your loads. But if you have too many of them, like more than 20%, they will wreak havoc on your network because they're going to cherry pick things. Right. So it's not like, you know, large fleets will take these owner operators and lease purchases in, but it's it's so hard to find out. Net revocations of motor carrier is basically you going to the FMCSA and saying, I can't do it anymore. I'm tapping out. Um, it's hard to just do that because a lot of times what owner operators do is they just cancel their insurance policy and they just stop paying. They just go home and they park it or they sell their truck. They didn't revoke their motor carrier. You can sit on a motor carrier number as long as you just file the 50 or dollars $300 a year. You know, as long as you do the bare minimum, you can keep an MC. So we have to get smarter and we have to look at other ways. It's it's uh I look at it like quantum theories. Owner operators exist and don't exist until observed. So we know, just like mm-hmm. electrons, we know there's this many in the particles, but we don't know where they're at. 
So we know that they're going to go from carriers into the open market. Right. And we know that they're also going to come back into carriers. But trying to, as an expert, tell you exactly and to what extent, it is next to impossible so far. If I find someone, I'll put them on my newsletter. I'll blast it. If someone says, we figured it out, we've, we found them, Thomas. We know where the owner operators are. <laughs> uh, just because there's so many. And yeah. so it is a good tool to tell the temperature. Net revocations, spot market rates are good ways to tell the conditions that which we would assume that owner operators can make it or not make it. We can also adequately predict their cost on average by basis. Uh, you know, ACT, FTR, uh, American Trucking Associations, OIDA, owner operators, they put out stuff all the time that part of my job is to read and absorb and find out what's going on with them. So, you know, right now I did find a few hundred went to large carriers and their financial data. If they break it down, they won't always tell you, by the way. Uh, there's another fun thing, working tractor percentages. It can be anywhere between 80 to 90% of that fleet is actually driving while the other 10 to 15 is in the shop. You'll never find out a working tractor percentage in a, in a thing because, uh, you know, the things that we, imagine Transfix books it to a national carrier instead of a mega carrier. We used to call them national. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing brokers get mad about is like, I gave it to this carrier. Why aren't they picking it up? Well, they may have had capacity, but uh, at the same time, it's a very fuzzy number. We were expected to need five loads. It turned out we only needed two. We have to hand three back. So it's very imperfect mm -hmm. science right now. That's why you see a lot of freight tech movement, trying to predict when and where. So finally on the owner-operator thought, we know that conditions are bad anecdotally. We're hearing it. So you have to make a combination between anecdotal data that you're hearing from qualitative and quantitative data sources. These calls. Right now, FreightWaves data is indicating that, you know, marketing and conditions really favor shippers. We also see with spot rates. But at the same time, we're hearing like uh, a 20 truck carrier just filed for bankruptcy. Just told our founders like, bro, I'm having to get out. Yeah. And he was buying more trucks in March. That's how hard it is for information to get out to care. So that's part of my job as a trucking expert is to try and provide as much informative information using our data sources and other ones to help people make these decisions. But uh, it, the hardest part of being an expert is also admitting when you don't know the answer. I have no idea how many owner operators there are. I know that right now we're going to see more leave the market, but it's going to be expressed in other ways. We'll know enough left the market when spot rates start going up because at the end of the day, truckload supply and truckload demand are what drives this commoditized enterprise. And then using data helps you determine where you are. It's it's definitely fuzzy, but it's not impossible. Yeah. No, you know, it's it's interesting because I think the role between or the relationship between shippers and carriers have certainly changed. I think because of the pandemic, because of the fact that, you know, there was a lot of uh, lack, well, I'll just say for lack of a better term, lack of quality when you hit the spot market for shippers. And so now they're really putting importance on that quality and making sure that they're treating their carriers more appropriately, providing better, you know, amenities when they are on site and so forth. But, you know, I'd, lo I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Do you feel like those relationships have changed for the better? Have you seen improvements? What's the deal there? Better, good and bad. Better yeah. as in shippers are using more technology platforms. Shippers are actually aware of. Now, that's important, by the way, aware of what their facilities. Back in the day, they didn't care. Yeah. Uh, I talked to during my MBA. Uh, I talked in 2020 to a VP of transportation at Procter & Gamble. They finally decided to pay attention to how large their, large their parking lots are because they keep getting driver complaints. They can't turn around. You know, mm -hmm. little things like that are where we're seeing shippers make a big difference. Not having bathrooms. Thankfully, Congress is trying to mandate 
bathroom access for drivers. Which is you insane. Wanna, well, this all boils down to a concept that you and I know where from a shipper of choice. Are you a carrier of choice? Or are you a shipper of choice? Right. And so now shippers are realizing that uh, improving their facilities, improving their experiences will bring them quality carriers and then they'll have less problems. Uh, my favorite were plastic companies. They're run by engineers that didn't want you there and you didn't want to be there. So you just got in and got out. But, you know, at the same time, the expectation for service as well as rate pressures, that's going to be hard for carriers. If you're a transportation manager. You're getting yelled at every day because uh, cost cutting, you know, when consumers aren't buying enough and you're, you're, we're talking about whether we're in a freight recession or not, you got to cut costs. So it's hard sometimes to be in that role because at the same time you're working to improve the lives of the carriers, you also have to make concessions to carriers and brokers and say, I have to have this cheaper. And the problem is right now I'm in control. I have the wheel and I will get this cheaper. It just depends on if I'm going to make a decision with you or not. And so that puts brokers and carriers in a hard spot. Now relationships still matter. Uh, you know, it, to the extent of how the relationship matters, sometimes you're definitely friends and sometimes you're frenemies. <laughs> and so there's always been between shippers, carriers, and brokers, kind of this, I need you, but I don't like you sometimes, but I got to work with you. But I don't. And so we will make deals, but we always recognize as well that there is that friction. And, um, you know, sometimes when we say we leverage relationships, it's leveraging is that I'm going to leverage you to give me 10% off, or this guy's going to leverage me to give me the cut I want, and you're just going to have no longer be the incumbent. So it, it gets tricky. I'm excited with technology. It will get better. There's a lot of technology companies that want to make life easier, and it's going to get easier for drivers. It's getting easier to run your business. Uh, you know, it, we have all these things now. LogRock, one of the companies I've spoke with, I literally got AI programming to help you deal with your logs. Uh, there's places like Uptake that literally want to do AI-driven things to tell you when your truck is going to break. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Transfix has your, you guys have the load board. You have your algorithms and stuff towards rate movements. I worked with y'all when I was a smaller carrier, API integrations. You know, these are things that are going to make life easier. But the hardest part is just reaching out to these drivers because, you know, it's they still use Facebook groups. They do. It's hard. Yeah. And it's hard to penetrate that being yeah. an outsider because they're so used to being messed with by people. Oh, I know that I've learned the hard way. I've gotten kicked out of several of Facebook groups just trying to be friends with them. But, you know, we're talking about techno technological advances and there's this, you know, revolution that has been infused in the trucking industry over the last 10 years. And we're now watching sustainability forge a path as well. I'd love to hear your prediction in terms of carriers adopting a more sustainable mentality when it comes to carbon emissions and EV adaptability, because that's like the hot topic of 2023, it seems, and 2022. I spoke to somebody about that, the scope of scope three emissions. It was a really fun conversation. At the end of the day, carriers are naturally going to push back because it will make their operations more complicated. Right. Uh, you know, by 2027, uh, you know, EPA guidelines and stuff, they're looking to reduce the amount of ozone. So on your truck right now, driving down the road, there's something called a DEF, a diesel exhaust filtration system. It uses a magical thing called a mixture of water and urea. If you don't know urea, it's also used synthetically used in fertilizers, and it comes from animal urine. I went down a rabbit hole for urea because there was a shortage that meant that drivers in New Zealand and Australia and South Korea couldn't drive. So 
what this does and why emissions and zero carbon matters and carries your concern is you may go from one of those silly things to two of them, which means, yes, it's good that the emissions are getting filtered, but you also have to come up with ways to make sure they clog all the time. So you have to make sure you're driving enough to do it. So uh, carriers are going to have pushback, but I, I like to tell people, use it as an advantage. You, you know, the scope three, the situation with scope three right now is not that we're trying to take away trucks or anything, we're right. trying to put you out of business. That's the first hurdle to overcome communicating to cares. The second one, though, is that we just want to know how much you are emitting. You don't know. We don't know. And I'm getting yelled at and pressure. So we got to find it out. So watch in the space to see who's going to sign up to these agreed upon standards for emissions. That's step one. That's really, we, we don't have the ability yet to set goals on how much to reduce because we've never really figured out how much they put out. Now, there's two different ways of doing it with scope three. There is what comes from your tank and is put out as exhaust and emission. And there's another one that I just learned in an interview that comes from how it gets to your tank. So there's two levels of scope three emissions. You fill up your 300 gallon tank, you're taking both of them and you get a score. So um, it's going to happen. Pressure, you know, how, how happens in trucking is the shippers want it. The shippers will make you do it if you want to work with them. Right. So, so it's not like I can't tell you this isn't going to happen because I'm smart enough to know if it's a chicken or the egg, you're going to you're going to pick the shipper every single time, and that's how this business has ran. Brokers. I talk to folks at F3. I tell people I used to be Mary O'Connell is our brokerage expert. You need to talk to her as well. She's a hoot. They're always interested in talking to her before they talk to me because we all we both know I'm just a means to an end. I haul things as a carrier. Yeah. The shippers are what attract the carriers and brokers because they want to haul. You find capacity. We source capacity. I assign loads to trucks. Even in a trucking company, the the means to an end is the asset, but the asset can't do anything without freight. So anyways, scope three is happening because shippers are going to. How you be smart as a truck driver and as a company, sign up. Try your best. You know it's going to get hard. You know you can't get around it. But if you can do that, you're going to open up doors with shippers who want to have carriers, just like like we saw Project 44 tracking and everyone has their apps now. Yeah. There's an advantage to that. Think of it like tracking. I know it's a pain in the neck. Sign up for it. Now, the second question, electric trucks. Are we going to see that? Well, the good news is we're having real meaningful conversations about not only electrical trucks, but the grid to support them. There's mm -hmm. like an ATA or ATRI study that said we need 10% more electricity generated across the entire United States to completely electrify the long haul segment of trucking. For many states, they would have to generate more than 50% of their entire statewide power budget to support them. This is a good conversation. Someone will yeah. say, well, Thomas, that just means it won't work. No, 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 this is great. Because if we know the problem, we know what we need to do next. The only problem is like, now we look into alternative sources. Can we do wind in certain locations? Can we increase solar in certain locations? Can we do gen four nuclear reactors uh, that currently take like a few years, but you know, these are the conversations that people are having. And I think that the good news is, uh, you know, decarbonization is going to happen. But how it looks, we're very early in the ballgame. We saw the Tesla truck delivered. I rode a Nikola truck. Did Imagine you? you got the opportunity to ride in the Wright Brothers. It took 20 to 30 years before the first commercial aviation companies came about. This mm -hmm. is a Wright Brothers moment for us. So we can argue and we can politic and pontificate all we want about what it means. But we got to see flight. And that's how it was so cool getting to ride those things. I got to see it. And sometimes for people, that's all you need. So yeah, it's going to take longer than we think. It's going to be a pain in the neck. But at the same time, focus on the opportunities because in trucking, uh, you know, trucking wasn't really until 1980. It was a highly unionized and regulated job. 
you would sell the rights to lanes and you had the ICC commission. Trucking did not become this Wild West thing where we talk about driver shortages and conditions until the 80s. Right. Companies like US Express, Warner, J.B. Hunt did not get big until the 80s and 90s using early technology breakthroughs like Qualcomm and driver tech units. By the early 2000s, the early ELD adopters were trucking. So, you know, it's going to come and it's going to happen and large fleets are taking notice. It Go along for the ride is what I tell people. Don't worry so much about how it's going to happen. You, trucking is highly resilient. And it's yep. going to be needed. We're going to find a way. It's just, it may be different. Well, there's hope yet, right? Because I well, I started Transfix seven years ago and I used to sit on the broker floor and the number one conversation or pain, pained conversations that they would have was getting truck drivers to download the app to track the load. And now it's it's just par for the course. Everyone has an app where they have to be tracked and it's part of, you know, ELD mandates made that much easier. But then what's interesting is that it's now just, it, it's, it's just become the norm. So I would imagine give it a, a couple more years, maybe even sooner, as you mentioned, like the more we see it, the more we have access to seeing how this is not going to replace the truck driver. It's simply going to, to enhance the job of a truck driver and make it a lot less straining physically, because I think that's another issue. We don't have time to get into that part, <laughs> but because <laughs> that's- Bring all me right. back on. I can tell you all you want about conditions of long haul trucking and how uh, some of this stuff that they're trying to do yeah. could theoretically also be better with the autonomous relays and routes, just because it is such a hard job. It really is. I, If you'll indulge me, I know we're over time, but I want to close out with a game of speed. This is the first time that I'm doing this. So, you know, we're, we're going to try something new. I will name the title in trucking uh the the job position and you give me your best one-liner bit of advice are we ready let's do it all right owner operator go oh my gosh pay your taxes and make sure you have enough money for repairs dispatcher go make sure you know where your drivers are and that their information is accurate don't feel too bad about approving time off hell yeah fleet manager go patience is key uh you do well by speeding things up internally in an organization Ooh, you're on a roll. All right, logistics manager on the shipper side. Shipper side, maintain a relationship, set expectations, but don't over gouge your people. Ooh, broker. Broker, ah, <laughs> trustworthy and honest the best you can, but also recognize it's a hustle. Last one, shipper executive, let's go C-suite. C-suite? Yep. Know that times are changing, but also know that things are still being, you know, the, the game may have changed, but it's also similar rules. Wow, nailed it. All right. Thomas Watson here on the Transfix Take On. This is actually, I say this every time, but I feel like I keep topping these conversations with awesome guests like you. I would love to have you back on. You're so you're truly a wealth of knowledge and you have such a, an interesting background. And I mean, I've learned so much from this conversation alone. I feel like I need to go read up on a couple more things over here. Thomas, thank you so much. Please come back to the show whenever you want. Always a pleasure. Just let me know. Absolutely. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change.